Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, UBP's FX podcast. I'm Peter Kinsella, Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP. And today I'm joined on our podcast by Lamine Bugea. Lamine is our Senior EM Portfolio Manager. And today we're going to talk about the outlook for EM, for EM currencies, emerging market rates, and, and get everything in. Uh, welcome to today's podcast, Lamine. Hi, Peter. Very, very welcome. So, Lamine, look, we've had... Um, a really interesting, I would say, three or four months in emerging markets where we've seen pretty much every asset in EM rates, foreign exchange, equities, all doing really well. What um, what do you think is the cause of that? What, what would you put that down to? Yes, hi, hi, Peter. Yes, so it's very, very interesting, uh, very interesting question for us. Clearly, the turning point for EMs happened mid-October after the uh, US CPI release, which marked, I would say, the peak uh, worries about the outlook for U.S. inflation uh, generally. So I would say the, the trigger has been improved risk uh, uptide, improved risk sentiment uh, on the view that uh, U.S. has firmly started its disinflationary uh, process. Uh, obviously, the fact that investors were generally at their weight or uh, short EM uh, up to that point has helped a lot for the, uh, in the rebound. And later on, though, since uh, January, we've had a new factor and a sort of additional fuel to the fire, which is China's uh, turnaround in terms of its uh, uh, policy choices, right? So we've seen an abrupt end to the zero COVID uh, policy of China, which uh, few expected in terms of its timing. Uh, but more generally, I would say China is going back to uh, growth targeting framework, which it has abandoned in the past two years because of COVID. And this year, they seem again intent on going back on a path that prioritizes growth, uh, having clearly stated a 5% GDP growth target. Obviously, this is going to be very helpful to uh, most emerging market currencies. Uh, yeah, I suppose if we look at it, I mean, I think what's interesting in this kind of cycle is that if we look at many of the big emerging market uh, countries, you know, Brazil, Mexico, you know, and so on, they kind of started their rate hiking cycles pretty much late 2020, even early 2021. I suppose they were they were very early to the game of raising interest rates, and they did so way before the Fed did. Um, and now if we look at certainly most EMs, if, you know, if you look at Hungary, Poland, um, you know, Brazil, Mexico, etc., they all illustrate very, very high front-end yields. Um, and do you think that's going to continue in your view? Yes, abs absolutely. I would say that you're right what you said in terms of the absolute yield levels. They are high by historical standards, but yet I would say examples of uh, relatively benign stories such as Mexico offering you 11% yield, Chile the same, you know, Colombia, Brazil over 12%. These are very high yields both from a nominal uh, yield perspective, I, w I believe that EMs will not start cutting rates uh, this year, although inflation generally has already peaked, clearly in inflation, and inflation has peaked in EM earlier than in developed markets. But uh, I would say in terms of the this cycle, what's different is that uh, there is a, a much more pronounced inflation is globally. So I expect EMs to stay on hold uh, with a cut uh, probably happening after the US 
if the US were to slow down aggressively this year and if the Fed were to cut on sim EMs would rather wait for the Fed to cut. Yeah, so I suppose in, in a sense really we see, you know, earlier rate hikes and in a you know, earlier rate hikes and then a very lagged rate cutting cycle. Um is it too early to talk about decoupling uh, from EM from DM in, no. in your view? I don't think so. Actually, if you look at the most recent IMF uh, growth forecasts, they were officially predict decoupling. They expect quite an aggressive slowdown in developed markets uh, from 2.5% last year to 1.2, and actually an acceleration of growth in uh, emerging markets uh, from 4 to 4.3. So I would say even an official organization such as the IMF is uh, predicting an economic decoupling. Okay. Okay, so in a sense, really, we see, you know, kind of a Federal Reserve peaking out with rates of maybe five, five and a quarter percent, emerging markets doing, you know, keeping very high nominal front-end yields, and this expected inflection decline, you know, leading to a situation of very, very high and positive real yields in in many emerging market currencies. Um, If we kind of throw in the commodity factor here, so um, last year, obviously, was a you know, a very, very strong year for commodities and commodity exporters, um, you know, particularly oil, obviously, and energy. Um, what do you think is the outlook for emerging market commodity producers this year? Um, you know, do you have strong views on it either way or what would like to hear your views there? Uh, I would say the outlook is, is positive to very positive, uh, mainly because of the China reopening. Uh, we also see it growth elsewhere, uh, maybe surprising to the upside at the beginning of the year. One thing to, to mention is that China has been tapping very aggressively its uh, strategic uh, uh, oil reserves year to date, uh, which for me goes a long way to explain maybe the underperformance of, uh, of oil relative to the, to the pace of China reopening. Uh, for us, you know, maybe there is a, a delayed uh, impact on the commodities, but nevertheless, for, me, for us, the direction of travel is very clear for commodities and we we want to be exposed to commodity currencies. Certainly, yeah, I think that, that makes an awful lot of sense, particularly what you're saying on oil. Um, on China, you know, we saw huge inflows towards China in, in January um, in the ETF space and bonds and equities, etc. Many investors who, ha- who had been seriously underinvested for the last two, you know, one or two years, looking to kind of back in, get back involved in, in the Chinese, in, China, in the sort of the Chinese growth story. Um, do you think those inflows will continue this year? Uh, if so, uh, at a lower pace, and what, what would your view there be? I would say, you know, those inflows probably justified by the uh, by the fact that just positioning is very underweight. But for me, they are probably, uh, ex- you know, excessive in terms of the, the pace, around 40 billion uh, dollars of inflows in very short time span. So I would expect uh, the deceleration from here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, influence stream. I think that makes sense. And I suppose if we can then, you know, we have this very, very positive outlook where we've got the dollar not doing a lot, you know, very high yields in, in yen, China reopening story, commodities doing well. What's the risk to this scenario in your view? The risk for me definitely is uh, political and geopolitical. Uh, uh, from a geopolitical perspective, we still need to see how the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict is going to be resolved. Uh, uh, I would say continuation of the current standoff would be relatively benign for for the asset class, but we can't exclude the risk of uh, of uh, re, uh, 
re the uh, acceleration in the conflict. And then obviously we, there's always the uh, idiosyncratic political risks in flag, Turkey, Colombia, uh, Peru and uh, South Africa is, is countries that we're watching very closely from that, uh, from that perspective. Um, so generally the car, we prefer currencies, which have lower idiosyncratic uh, factors, uh, such as Asia, Mexico, and Chile, which are much more exposed to the themes that we've just discussed and not so much on their internal politics. Super, super. Okay. So broadly speaking, a very constructive outlook for, for emerging markets. Would you, would you say it's kind of a, like even a, a vintage year for EM carry trades? I think it could very well be. Uh, it's very rare actually to see the coupling, uh, economic decoupling. I think the last time we saw that was uh, 2011. Uh, so for me, it's a uh, could be an exceptional year for major markets. Yeah, really, I mean, it does seem to me that most of the stars are aligning uh, for a decent year for EM. I mean, you know, positive growth, you know, robust commodity price dynamics, uh, very high nominal yields. Um, yeah, I think that the only question an investor would have is what's the funding currency, right? Um, I, you know, I don't know if we've any views on that. I'd say I'll, I'll leave that to you, Peter. Okay. The next <laughs> on that. Fair enough. Great, great. Um, okay, yeah, I, I, I suppose on, on that one, really, on, on vis-a-vis a funded currency, look, I, I would avoid simply using the dollar at the moment, just given the fact that the carry is expensive. Um, but certainly looking at it, the euro less so, uh, I think is less attractive as a funding currency, because I, I do think there's got a appreciation potential there. The Swiss franc, I think, actually is going to be a very interesting funding currency this year. Um, rates aren't going to be very, very high. The SNB might top out at like 1.75% if even. Um, inflation is low. And they also want to manage the exchange rate in a very stable manner. Uh, the SNB has pledged to, to intervene on both sides of the exchange rate if necessary. So that to me gives uh, kind of the, the perfect conditions for a funded currency, I would, I would say. Great stuff. Well, listen, Liming, thanks for uh, coming on today's podcast. Um, to all our listeners, thank you for listening. And for more information on on our views, um, please visit www.ubp.com. Thanks again for listening.